Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda, whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe every day at Saks.com. The following program is a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcast Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com to learn more about this and our other weekly storytelling programs and become a patron today to show your support and get instant access to our extensive archive of downloadable ad-free tales of terror. Thank you for listening, and enjoy the show. Today's episode of Scary Stories Told in the Dark is brought to you by Native, the company dedicated to creating safe, simple, effective products that will leave you feeling your best and smelling great each and every day. I'll be back after our first story tonight to tell you a little more about our friends at Native, including a special offer they have for those of you listening in tonight. Until then, go ahead, make sure your doors are locked, and check to make sure your closet doors are shut like they ought to be. That way, you'll have some warning when they creak open later while you're sound asleep. <laughs> Stay tuned. The show's about to begin. Good evening. I'm storyteller Otis Gyre, and I ain't your grandfather. From where I'm from, we don't do bedtime stories. And if that's what you were expecting, you're in the wrong place. If it's terrifying tales you're after, well then, I've got just the thing. Get comfortable, settle in, turn off the lights, if you dare. Your night is about to get a whole lot darker. <laughs> Who needs sleep anyway? <laughs> Good evening. <laughs> You're listening to Scary Stories Told in the Dark. Welcome to Season 4, Episode 20. I'm your host, Otis Jiry. In tonight's episode, I'll be performing three stories for you about diabolical boxes, monstrous magic, and vengeful victims. You're listening to the standard edition of tonight's program. If you'd like to show your support and enjoy an extended version of this and other episodes of Terror, visit simplyscarypodcast.com and click Patrons in the upper menu to sign up today. Thank you for your support. Now, it's time to take a walk together down the moonlit trail. So, lock your doors, turn your lights down low, and settle in. 
show is about to begin. <laughs> Our first tale of terror this evening comes to us, courtesy of author J.M. Simano. In it, we'll meet a man that moves from the bustling city to the quiet countryside in order to get away from it all. But when he finds an unusual artifact in his new abode, he'll soon discover that he's got more to worry about than nosy neighbors. Without further ado, I present to you The Trunk. Moving day. A chance to start fresh in a new place. New opportunities, new community, new home. Home, not just a house. To Eric Sherman, this was a place he could finally call home. No ex-wives to hound him for alimony. No disapproving parents to question his absence of faith and atheist lifestyle. No bitchy neighbors threatening to call the authorities about his over-the-top Halloween displays. No, this house was different. For one, it was in a more rural and secluded county. There was no HOA to worry about. His nearest neighbor was almost a half mile away. Before Eric, had moved in, he made it a point to go and meet him and ask some questions about the community. So how long have you lived around here, Mr. Holt? Eric asked. Oh, hell, the old man began. Call me Henry. Everyone or else around these parts does. Henry took a long drag from his cigarette. But to answer your question, been here my whole life. I inherited the house and the little farm from my pa when he passed and Seventy-five. Henry extinguished what was left of his cigarette in a small glass ashtray, flipping out of his wrinkled pack. You grow anything on the farm? Eric asked. Henry gestured over his shoulder, swirling smoke through the air with his newly lit cigarette. Well, just some squash and the like. In the fall, I grow pumpkins and let the city folk come and pick them for Halloween. You like Halloween, son? Eric's eyes lit up. Ever since he was a boy, Halloween had been his favorite holiday. He enjoyed being scared and using the extensive collection of decorations and props to scare others. Yes, sir, I do. At my last house, my ex-wife and I would put up quite a display. Sometimes we'd even make a little haunted walkthrough in our backyard. Some of the neighbors said our displays were too intense and made too much noise. Henry chuckled and took another long drag. Well, Henry began, you don't have to worry about that around here. I'm your closest neighbor and I love all that spooky shit. Noise won't be a problem either. My hearing's been going these past few years. So if you want to rile up the folk that come out our way uh, for pumpkins... Trick-or-treat, I say, have at it. The two men chatted for a few more hours. Eric told Henry about some of his more gruesome Halloween displays, and Henry told Eric about which shops were closest and had the best prices. Well, Henry, Eric said as he shook the old man's hand, I look forward to living up the road from you. Same here, son, Henry replied. Treat that old house good. Like all old things, handle her with care and she'll treat you right. A week later, Eric was finishing unloading the boxes from the moving truck and into the old country house. He wiped the sweat from his forehead, gazed up at his new home, and let out a satisfied home. The farmhouse was huge, much bigger than Eric's last house, and more than enough for a bachelor and his dog, a border collie named... Cerise. Eric wasn't bothered by the extra space. More room to store props and decorate with macabre knick-knacks. Horror and grotesquities that, well, they were not reserved solely for Halloween. Eric enjoyed adorning his shelves, mantles, and countertops with skulls, bones, old crumbling books, and other bizarre curios he'd acquired over the years. 
As he was carrying the last of the Halloween boxes up to the attic, Eric stumbled, sending the box crashing to the floor. He frantically pulled open the cardboard flaps and sighed with relief. Nothing had broken. He then turned to see what had caused him to lose his footing. There, at the base of the attic steps, was a noticeably loose floorboard. Eric grabbed a hammer, nails, and flashlight from his toolbox and made his way back to the attic doorway. He clicked the flashlight on to find the best place to hammer the board down when he noticed something tucked away just under the loose board. Using the claw end of the hammer, Eric pried open the other nails out of the floorboard. The space beneath the floor had an old musty smell, the kind of odor one expects to smell in a second-hand shop or antique store. As the beam from his flashlight scanned the dust-caked alcove, Eric finally saw what had caught his eye. Before him sat a small, antique black trunk. Eric lifted the box from its hiding place and wiped the dust from it with his shirt sleeve. The box was made of very sturdy wood that had been painted black by its creator. The lid was slightly domed and secured with a large antique lock. Emblazoned across the front of the lid were some letters that Eric instantly recognized as Hebrew. Eric rubbed his stubbled chin as he tried to make out the letters. He'd taken Hebrew lessons as a child, but hadn't studied or read anything in the language since his bar mitzvah. Now, in his late thirties, the letters seemed alien to him. He thought about calling his mother and asking her what it said, but their relation had been rocky ever since she told him she could not accept that he had abandoned his faith. At any rate, Eric knew he had to see what was inside. He went back to his toolbox and returned once again, this time with a pair of bolt cutters. Eric placed the cutters on the lock, and with one firm squeeze, the lock snapped in half. He removed the remnants of the broken lock from the latch, and without warning, the lid flew open with a horrible screech. Eric jumped back from the sudden noise, after taking several deep breaths, he clutched his chest and laughed a bit to himself. He walked back over to the now-open trunk and peered inside. Eric's eyes lit up as they had at Henry's when he mentioned Halloween. Inside, there was an assortment of bizarre trinkets, a small jar filled with teeth, five rusted nails fastened together with twine, a desiccated frog, a small jar of what looked to be rock salt, but among the various oddities, the most impressive was an antique jester marionette. The puppet glared up at Eric with lifeless blue eyes and a sardonic grin that was thinly framed by a pair of blood-red lips. Eric reached toward the limp figure to inspect it when, with a loud wooden snap, his mouth popped open. Oh, shit! Eric gasped as he recoiled and withdrew his hand from the marionette. His heart began racing and the sound of pumping blood filled his ears. From the downstairs living room, Cerise had begun to bark. It's all right, girl, Eric shouted. Daddy was just being a wuss. As courage crept its way back into Eric's body, he noticed a small piece of paper in the puppet's mouth. He slipped the paper out of the doll's open maw and found the same Hebrew lettering on it. It must be your name, Eric wondered aloud. With that, he placed everything back into the trunk and decided he'd ask Henry if he knew anything about it tomorrow morning. Eric sat on Henry's porch as the blazing autumn sun beat down on him. Though it was still early in the morning, the temperature had already reached an uncomfortable 91 degrees. This heat and the accompanying humidity were not uncommon for the area, but it was more than Eric was used to. Sweat drops had already formed on Eric's forehead, and his clothes began to cling to his body with sweat. The mysterious trunk sat on the small patio table in between the two men. Any idea what it could be? Eric asked Henry as the two studied the box and its contents. It looks like a... Yeah, a lot of weird shit. 
Henry replied, Hell, son, thought you was into all that spooky stuff. Eric chuckled. Uh, Henry had a good point. This was the exact type of thing Eric would go out of his way to find at antique stores and estate sales. Eric was about to reply when Henry gestured to the inscription on the trunk. Ain't them uh, those uh, Jewish letters? Henry asked. Eric nodded as he took a sip of water from his bottle. Yeah, Eric replied. Hebrew. Was the previous owner Jewish? Henry let out a deep sigh and shook his head solemnly. Now, my pa and I always had our suspicions about Kurtz. Henry began, the old feller that lived in the house before you. Mean old bastard. Thick German accent. Bought the place he was living in around 1950. Pa always said to keep away from him. Told me... I'm a good Nazi is a dead Nazi. That old bastard must have stole this off of some poor Jewish fella. It'd be invaluable someday. Eric looked at Henry with a steady gaze. He swallowed the lump that had built up in his throat. Uh, my family is Jewish, Henry. They, well, they escaped the Nazis in Poland and fled to America when the war was over. Henry placed a hand on Eric's shoulder and gave a reassuring smile. Son, I know it might seem strange living in that place, knowing what you know now, uh, replied Henry. But maybe this is a restitution of sorts. That old prick is dead and buried. Now you live in his house and you've reclaimed something that belonged to your kin. Yes, sir. This is just your people reclaiming what is rightfully theirs. Eric forced a smile and looked down at the box. The puppet met his gaze with his own cruel smile. Eric turned back to Henry. But why wouldn't the realtor have said something about this? Henry let out a laugh. Boy, even if they knew the old fool's history, do you really think... That would be something they'd advertise, Henry replied. Eric knew he was right. No sane person would stop on a real estate listing that read, Rural farmhouse, country living, former fascist occupant. Eric thanked Henry for his time, gathered up the trunk and its inhabitants, and started to walk down the dirt road that led to his house. Henry called after Eric. What you gonna do with that creepy puppet? Eric turned and replied, Well, Halloween is in a couple of weeks. I think it'll look pretty good on my mantle. Before long, Eric had started putting up his Halloween display. He'd spent years purchasing and collecting the most grotesque and gory pieces he could find. His once scenic front yard was now an abattoir littered with limbs and heads, festooned with intestines, and manned by blood-soaked animatronic clowns. Henry came by a few times a week to see how the display was coming along. Each time he'd ask Eric if it was finished, and each time Eric would tell him there was always room for more. Inside the farmhouse was more tame by comparison, but still had its fair share of horror. Actual skulls and bones Eric had acquired from various collectors adorned his walls. Antique surgery tools and dental phantoms sat proudly on his end tables and counters. Preserved rodents, bats, and spiders occupied his mantle along with the contents of the trunk, the marionette taking center stage. Eric had decided to name the marionette Jerry. Both he and Henry agreed the puppet's angular features, rectangular head and broad smile, made it look like a medieval Jerry Seinfeld. Eric had just finished putting up a few more decorations and lights when he decided to turn in for the evening. The heat was still pretty intense during the day, and all of the outdoor decorating had drained the energy out of him. 
He took Cerise on her nighttime walk, making sure to pick up after her. Though dog feces can be quite scary, they were not welcome in his display. Eric and Cerise came back inside, and Eric told her it was time for bed. The dog curled up on her favorite wingback chair, put her head down, and blew air out of her nose, the way a disappointed child would respond if you told him that it was time for bed. Eric crossed the living room toward the stairs leading up to his room. As he reached for the light switch, he turned toward the dog. Good night, Cerise. You're such a good girl today. Cerise did not get up or even open her eyes, but her tail began to wag energetically to show him she understood. Eric then turned toward the mantel. Good night, Jerry. Keep an eye on the other decorations for me, will you? As if in response... Jerry's mouth snapped open with that distinct wooden click sound. Cerise began to whimper and growl in her sleep as the hair on her scruff bristled. Eric felt all the little hairs stand up in the back of his neck as he stared at the puppet in shocked disbelief. Calm down, he thought to himself. It's just an old doll. He made his way cautiously over to the mantel, his eyes locked in a staring contest with Jerry's. Eric reached out with a trembling hand to close the puppet's mouth, expecting the thing to spring to life at any minute. He placed a finger on Jerry's chin and slowly pushed its mouth closed. Eric sighed with relief and made his way back to the light switch, never taking his eyes off of Jerry. I'll find some wood glue in the morning and take care of that job problem you've got there, Jerry. Eric joked, maybe even give you a fresh coat of paint. With that, Eric turned out the lights and went to his room to have one of the most troubling sleeps of his adult life. That night, Eric could not sleep. His dreams were a labyrinth of nightmares that he struggled to escape. Images of Jerry and his terrible grin haunted Eric's every wakeless second forcing him to jolt awake and scan the room for the demonic doll. Every creak, every tap, every subtle noise caused Eric to spring awake. It was getting to the point where he wasn't sure if it was better just to stay awake and try and take a nap in the morning. At around 6 a.m., a new noise had shocked Eric from his bed. Downstairs, he could hear the distinct sounds of Cerise barking and snarling. Eric felt the knot form in his stomach. Maybe it's just a rat. Eric hoped as he climbed out of bed. The dog's barking grew louder and more fierce. Eric knew he had to go downstairs and investigate, but fear slowed his movements to a glacial pace. The stairs from the second floor creaked with unease as he crept downstairs to see what Sarik was barking at. Eric peered through the living room doorway. However, what he saw was more annoying than startling. His mantle display had been knocked down and strewed about the floor. Broken display boxes and animal specimens littered the area rug that was below the mantle and in front of the fireplace. The one startling aspect of the scene was that Jerry did not fall all the way to the ground. His marionette controls and strings... It snagged the edge of the mantle, causing the puppet to hang and sway like a corpse on a noose. Jerry's mouth hung open as Cerise barked and snarled at him. Cerise, Eric yelled, what did you do? Despite Eric's accusations, the dog continued to bark and lunge at the dangling puppet. Eric grabbed Cerise's collar and dragged her toward the kitchen. He told Cerise to sit and stay, shutting the door behind him as he returned to the mess she had left. Eric got a broom and began to sweep the broken glass from the rug. From the looks of things, he would not be able to save any of these pieces. Once he was sure, he had cleaned up all the glass. Eric untangled the marionette string and sat Jerry back in the mantle. I guess Cerise thinks you're creepy too, Eric said aloud to the doll. As he turned to let Cerise out of the kitchen, 
Eric felt a sharp pain in the bottom of his foot. Fuck! Eric screamed as he grabbed his foot to see what he had stepped on. A small piece of glass protruded from his heel, glistening in the light as a tiny red stream of blood began to trickle from the wound. Eric hobbled over to the couch and examined his injury. He pushed on the skin around the glass to force it to its surface. He plucked the shard from his foot as blood began to stream faster from the puncture. Eric hopped over to the bathroom, cleaned his wound, and covered it with a bandage. Upon returning to the living room, Eric found Jerry slumped over and lying on his side. Eric limped over to the mantel, not wanting to put pressure on his foot. As he reached for the puppet, Jerry's mouth snapped open again. Eric quickly recoiled his hand. Before he had time to register this new fear, he was startled again by a loud bang at his front door. Eric cried out in surprise. Eric, you're in there. Henry's familiar voice called from the front door. Still slightly panicked, Eric hobbled over to the front foyer and answered the door. Eric smiled a weak smile at Henry. Hey, Henry, Eric said. How's it going? Henry looked Eric up and down. You could tell things were out of the ordinary. I was just going for my morning stroll and decided to see how the display was coming along. Henry replied, but, uh, from the looks of things, I've had quite a morning. Eric nodded and explained to Henry what had transpired since the dog had made a mess. Henry shook his head. Guess that dog of yours hadn't taken a shine to old Jerry yet, huh? Well, at any rate, I just wanted to say your yard decorations are getting pretty sick, even for my taste. Eric gave Henry a quizzical look. Uh, Henry, I haven't added anything to the outside display. Henry looked confused, and the two men stepped outside onto the front porch. Dangling from the trees were dozens of dead mice and birds, swaying lazily in the light breeze. Eric swallowed hard. He was suddenly aware the strings that were wrapped around each animal were identical to the ones that were on Jerry. <laughs> Henry? Eric stammered. I didn't hang these. Henry gave Eric a stern look. Listen, boy, Henry started. I'm all for a good scare here and there, but this may drive business away from my farm. I'm asking as a friend, please take him down. Eric, not looking down from the ghoulish menagerie, nodded silently. Henry patted him on the shoulder. I'm happy you're getting into the spirit of things, but don't go getting carried away. With that, Henry started back down the dirt road toward his house. Eric retrieved the ladder from the grim task of removing the lifeless creature from the trees. As he finished taking the last morbid ornament down, he heard Cerise barking from inside the house. Eric climbed down the ladder and burst through the front door. To his horror, he found Jerry sitting upright in Cerise's chair. Eric rushed over to the puppet, snatched it off the chair, and chucked it into the fireplace. He then shoved some newspaper and scrap wood under Jerry and struck a match. As he set the ghastly pyre ablaze... Jerry's mouth fell open once again with a hideous click. That night, Eric gathered what remained of the trunk's contents and threw them in the trash. He snapped a picture of the box with his phone and begrudgingly sent it in an email to his mother. He hated contacting her after their falling out, but she knew how to read Hebrew. As he hit send, he glanced over at the fireplace the fire continued to blaze, but all remnants of Jerry had become smoldering ash. Eric had just walked into the kitchen to get a glass of water when he felt his phone buzzing in his pocket. He pulled out the phone out of his pocket. The caller ID simply read, Mom. He took a deep breath and answered, Hey, Ma. Hello, Eric, she responded. I just got your email. What exactly am I looking at? 
Eric did not want to tell her all that had happened since he found the trunk. It's this really old box that was left by the previous owner. I can't make out what the Hebrew says on the lid. He heard his mother sigh. You don't even remember enough Hebrew to read a short word like that? His mother scolded. Well, at any rate, I hope you left that thing alone. Eric began to feel the hairs on his neck stand up. Why? Eric asked. What does it say? The book. His mother responded. Old superstition. They're like demons or spirits. The word actually means adhere or cling. Eric took a deep breath, but before he could respond, he heard a sharp yelp from the living room. Mom, I'm going to have to call you back. Eric hung up the phone and bolted into the living room. The sight that greeted him sent his head spinning. Cerise was thrashing about on the floor in front of the fireplace. Protruding from the ashes was a long, sickly, pale arm. Its skeletal fingers were wrapped firmly around the dog's neck. Cerise! Eric shouted. With that, the arm gave a quick twist breaking the dog's neck with a terrible snap. The arm raised Cerise's lifeless form into the air, then, with one swift motion, threw the dog toward the front door. Eric stood, frozen in horror, not knowing what to do or where to run. Before his senses could fully return, all of the lights suddenly snapped off and the fire went out. Eric groped behind him for the kitchen door, Eyes fixated on the unlit fireplace. Bzzz. Eric's phone buzzed violently in his hand. The screen illuminated. The caller ID said, Jerry. Before he could do anything, the phone accepted the call and switched to speaker mode. A shrill, unearthly screech emanated from the device. His images of an eyeless, gaunt face Ingester paint flashed on the screen. Suddenly, the phone went dark, and the screeching stopped. In the darkness, Eric heard something slump onto the floor in the direction of the fireplace. As he turned to run into the kitchen, he heard the sickening thumping of the creature crawling toward him. Henry stood in Eric's yard. An old cigarette clung to his lips. He shook his head. Mr. Holt, I'll ask you one more time. What were you doing in the deceased's yard so early in the morning? Henry took a long drag from his cigarette. I told you, officer, me and him had become very close. We were fixing to be partners around Halloween time. He'd spoke the young'uns and city folk, and I'd be selling them pumpkins. Poor kid. I knew he was in a bad place. Told me about his wife leaving him. Told me about not being on good terms with his folks. I knew something was off, but never guessed he'd do something like this. The two men turned around to re-examine the horror of which they spoke. In a tree, high above the Halloween grotesquities, hung Cerise. A chorus rope pulled tight round her neck. Hanging beside her swung Eric, face made up to resemble the marionette sitting upon the branch, suspending them. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. 
Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda, whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe every day at Saks.com. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously and 6-1 since that matters and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. I hope you enjoyed The Trunk by author J.M. Samano, as performed by yours truly. Up next, we've got another terrifying tale. This one from author... Tobias Wade, a tale that demonstrates the disturbing lengths some children will go to in order to entertain themselves. Before I proceed, however, I'd like to tell you a bit more about tonight's sponsor, Native, and a special offer they have for those of you listening in tonight. The folks at Native are dedicated to creating safe, simple, effective products that people use in their bathroom every day with trusted ingredients and trusted performance. With 8,000 five-star reviews from customers and counting, Native makes it clear that all deodorants are not created equal. And they mean business when they say to you that you ought to take care of your body. It's the only place you have to live. Now I know what you think. What makes Native so special? Well, first, and most importantly, Native's deodorants are formulated without aluminum, parabens, and talc. Tasty fillers, chemicals, and compounds that have no business being in or on your body at any time, let alone daily. Native's products are filled with ingredients you know and that are found in nature, such as coconut oil, shea butter, which helps moisturize, and tapioca starch, which absorbs wetness. Did you think deodorants needed all those chemicals and fillers to work? Think again. Native does the same work without the unnatural. Making the switch to an aluminum-free deodorant doesn't have to mean sacrificing product performance. We here at Scary Stories, told in the dark, had a chance to try out Native for the first time this past week. And simply put, it works. Not only did the coconut and vanilla scent remind me of pleasant memories of baking cookies in winter and warm summer days all at once, it does what it's supposed to. Keeps me dry and feeling comfortable all day long, whether I'm in the studio or out and about running errands. I've tried other aluminum-free deodorants, and I'll be honest, I nearly got turned out from the stuff because they just didn't seem to work as well as the stuff I grew up with. Some kept me smelling fresh, but they seemed like they uh, make me sweat more than before. Others were irritating, and worse still, some didn't work at all, and actually made me smell worse. It was almost enough to give up on using natural deodorants entirely, but I'm glad I didn't. Native's deodorant works, and not only keeps me dry, but the scents are fantastic. All of them, and they don't quit until you do. Not only that, but Native never tests their products on animals, and they offer free shipping, returns, and exchanges in the USA. So there's no risk to try, even if you're unconvinced. With Native, less is more. With fewer, simpler ingredients, you can rest easy knowing everything that's in their deodorant. And without added aluminum, 
You know that no matter what scent you choose, it's going to be safe and effective. Speaking of scents, native comes in a wide variety of enticing aromas that will appeal to both men and women, as lavender and rose, cucumber and mint, and eucalyptus and mint, or my personal favorite, and their most popular, coconut and vanilla. And if that's not enough, they release new limited edition seasonal scents throughout the year. And if you're sensitive to particular scents, no worries. Native offers unscented formula and baking soda-free formulas for you and your loved ones. They really have something for everyone. Still on the fence? I don't blame you. I've been burned by a lot of bad products in my day, and I like to see what other people think before I switch brands. Well, with Native, you can do just that, and there's no shortage of good reviews. People love Native. Don't believe me? Check out their 8,000-plus five-star reviews online, or check them out in the media on the Today Show, Elle Magazine, Pop Sugar, and Refinery29, to name a few. So what do you got to lose? We might specialize in losing you sleep here on this show, but you might as well smell and look awesome when you drag yourself out of bed the next day for work. With free shipping and no hassle returns, if you're unsatisfied for any reason, there's never been a better time to try something new. And today, Native is making it even easier to switch. For 20% off your first purchase, visit nativedeodorant.com. Use promo code TOLD during checkout. Once again, for 20% off your first purchase, visit nativedeodorant.com and use TOLD. That's told, T-O-L-D, during checkout. Be sure to use that code to let the kind folks at Native know that Otis Gyrie sent you. It would mean a lot to me. Thanks so much for your time and for giving Native a try this month. Now that we've helped you look and smell your best, courtesy of our friends at Native, Allow me to give you a case of the cold sweats that's perfect to test out your brand new deodorant uh, with another terrifying tone. This one comes to us from author Tobias Wade and introduces us to a gentleman recollecting an unforgettable childhood experience wherein a meet-up with a potential playmate results in something far more fiendish than friendship. Without further ado, I present to you Blood Magic. I was almost friends with a monster when I was 11 years old. I would have preferred a human friend, but my family had just moved to a new city where everyone was cold and distant. My father promised that I would meet new people at school, but... There were still a few weeks of summer, and I had nothing to do. Elisa Williams was the one I really wanted to be friends with. She lived next door in a beautiful gray house with a high-fenced yard. I used to sit with my back to the fence and listen to her playing and giggling, the sound bubbling up like music made for everyone but me. I wasn't brave enough to introduce myself, but after a few days of moping around the house... My mother volunteered to do it for me. I stood behind her, carrying a basket of cookies, while she knocked on the neighbor's door. Eliza, the man who opened it looked like a poorly shaved bear. Get over here and meet your new friend. We're busy, came the shrill response from somewhere deeper in the house. My mother marveled at the woodworking and craftsmanship and asked the age of the venerable structure. Now, Elisa, the bear bellowed, I know you're alone up there. A short, angry sigh, like what circus lions must do, before they're forced onto the stage, and footsteps creaking down the stairs. I've got cookies, I supplied, hopefully. Elisa spends all day playing by herself. The bear said, She's been so lonely since her mother passed. 
some company will be good for her. I thought about the giggling I heard through the fence, and I didn't understand how someone could have such a good time on their own. Elisa appeared a moment later, her head hanging low in surly obedience. She wore shorts and long socks pulled halfway up her thighs, one bright green, the other purple. That's all I really saw, because I was so embarrassed that I couldn't look up from the basket of cookies I held out. Elisa snatched the whole basket and briskly turned around again. I glimpsed a wave of black hair, curly like her father's, but not so wild. After a few steps, she turned to glare over her shoulder with the expression a vegan might give a barbecue. Well, are you coming or not? I hadn't taken my second step before she cut in. Shoes off! I haste to obey. No socks. Stay on. Uh, what are you, some kind of barbarian? Uh, no, ma'am. I don't know why I said that, but I was scared of her, and I didn't want to give her any reason to send me away. Eliza seemed satisfied with the answer, though, and she permitted me to follow her up the stairs toward her room. I felt like I was on solid ground until she said, We don't need any more friends. None of our games have room for a third person. Your dad said he isn't my dad. He killed my father and took me prisoner. Um, oh, yes, she said, pivoting her socked heel on the wooden floor so smoothly that she seemed to almost float. But that's okay, because sometimes he brings me little boys to eat. I could only hope that my stunned silence was mistaken for composure. Eliza rolled her eyes and opened the door to her room. Just kidding. You're not stupid, are you? I didn't realize I was holding my breath until that moment. I'm sorry. That wasn't a fair question. Most stupid people don't know they're stupid, and I suppose... It's perfectly fine if you are, as long as you don't try to perform surgery or vote or do anything a normal person would do. Elisa rambled. The stairway and hall we passed were heavily decorated with framed portraits, hanging tapestries and ornate tables littered with precious and intricate things. It was in stark contrast to Elisa's room, which had a simple metal frame bed in a corner, and a dark wood cabinet on the other side. The walls were painted black, and the window was concealed beneath a thick curtain. There was nothing on the hardwood floor to disrupt the monastic austerity. Uh, how do you play games without any toys? I asked. We play blood games, she said, stressing the plural again. The kind that need magic to work. You do know about magic, don't you? Yeah, sure, of course. I didn't want to say anything more to betray my ignorance. I reached for a cookie from the basket, but she slapped my hand away. I stood in disbelief as she ate one of the cookies herself. My mother taught me after she passed, Eliza said casually, moving to set the cookies on the cabinet. She retrieved something and turned to face me again. If you want to play, you'll need to give me your hand. What do you mean, after she passed? I tentatively stretched out to her. Now close your eyes. She could have told me to jump out of the window, and I probably would have done it. She had the sweetest smile on her face, and the soft brush of her fingers tracing my palm made me blush. I closed my eyes and took a deep breath. Don't scream. Mother hates screamers. I opened my eyes a sliver, just in time to see a metallic flash in the air. Elisa's grip tightened around my wrist while her free hand gouged a needle into the center of my palm. I didn't scream exactly. It was more of a shrieking, yelping sound, like a rabbit trying skydiving for the first time. I tore my hand away with the needle still in it, blood freely running between my fingers. Come back here, Elisa shouted. You're going to make a mess. We both dashed for the door, 
I hesitated to avoid running into her, but she pushed me aside and didn't slow until she slammed it shut and locked it from the inside. You're wasting the blood. Give me your hand. No, you stabbed me again. I gingerly pulled the needle out of the skin, propping a fresh swell of blood. I felt dizzy. Baby. She snorted. That hurt slightly more than the needle. You're already bleeding, so I don't need to stab you now, do I? Here, wipe some on me. She offered me the back of her hand. Bewildered, I rubbed a long smear on her pale skin. Her dark eyes sparkled as she watched with eager fascination. I almost took the opportunity to flee, but I couldn't resist asking. How does blood magic work? Mother said that when the world was young, all living things were connected, and the same blood flowed from one to the next. Lisa plugged the needle from my fingers and pricked her clean hand daintily to draw forth a single drop of blood. We started to fight one another, though, and it got worse and worse until we had to pull apart into separate entities. We became so distant that we started taking different shapes in some animals, even preyed upon others until we forgot that we were ever the same. The blood is the only part of us that never forgot. Using the nail of one index finger, she deftly traced a pattern in my blood. A circle with a triangle inside and a square inside that, and perhaps even a tiny pentagon within. With deep concentration, she pressed a single drop of her blood into the center of the design. Now what are you doing? I asked. She smiled, but the gesture seemed strained and unnatural. Like a dog burying its teeth for a dog food commercial. Duh, she said. I'm making magic. And she was. The pattern of blood on her hand was glowing, softly at first, but growing brighter and even pulses. My heart began to race with excitement, and the pulsing light increased to match its rhythm. What's it do? I asked. I'm going to grow you a friend, she said. It's what you want, isn't it? I wanted to tell her that I didn't need a friend anymore because I had her. But we don't always get what we want, even from ourselves. Especially from ourselves. Yeah, sure. That's what I came here for, I said. Okay, watch. The light grew stronger, but I couldn't look away. Pattern was moving now. The triangle was turning within the circle and the square within that, which moved in the opposite direction. And from the center grew a red stalk like a time lapsed bean struggling through her skin to sprout and curl into the air. Within a breathless moment, the stalk had grown over a foot. The veins of Elisa's hand glowed beneath the skin like a network of roots, and from that strange plant, an even stranger fruit began to swell. What is his name? Elisa asked. Um, how about Sid? The fruit looked like an organ with a face. I didn't know what a fetus looked like at that point. But when I saw pictures when I was older, I knew that's what it was. How big will it be? I inquired. I want to be taller than he is. Elisa smiled. What? I said. We'll be playing sports and stuff. I want to win. What does Sid like to eat? She asked. Uh, I glanced around the empty room, spotting the basket. Cookies, I guess. It was larger now. I could make out tiny hands and feet pressing against its transparent cocoon. And what does he love? Her voice was fainter now, straining with exertion. Her glowing veins extended all the way down her arms now, and for the first time, I realized the concentration on her face was mixed with pain. I don't know. I don't think I like this game. I don't want to play anymore. You can't stop now. What does Sid love? Elisa took a sharp intake of breath and grimaced. 
The plant had stopped growing, and the swiftly gorging fruit was about the size of a watermelon. How was it getting so big? Was it filling up with her blood? Stop it, I said. My voice cracked, but I didn't care. Make it go back. Cut it off. It's not an it, she grunted. His name is Sid, and he's already alive. You have to tell me what he loves, or he will be nothing but... I hate it. I hate him. Make him go away, please. Hurry. You're part of the spell, too. I can't do this alone, she said. It wasn't a watermelon anymore. It was the size of a dog and beginning to grow coarse fur. Now it was heavy enough that Elisa had to kneel and rested on the ground. The hands and feet were becoming more defined and solid by the second. Its eyes fluttered once, then opened to pierce me with pale, sightless orbs. Mr. Williams! I screamed. Mr. Williams, help! It's hurting her! Thunderous footsteps sounded on the stairs, but the wretched thing reacted to the noise and flailed its arms. One wild claw pierced straight through its encompassing sack and clawed the open air an inch from my face. Bright red fingers clutched the tattered opening and ripped it wide in a rush of blood. All at once, Sid was free, and on the ground, standing almost as tall as me. Then someone was pounding on the door. It was still locked. What's going on in there? The voice opposite the door cried out. Elisa, are you okay? She lay panting on the ground. The blood was beginning to evaporate into a thick red mist. I choked and fell to the ground to avoid breathing in the heavy, wet air. The tattered sack, the discarded dying stem, both withering before my eyes. Sid was crouched in terror, its matted fur showing through the evaporating blood. Open the door! Boy, are you in there? I crawled across the ground to unlock the door, more pounding, louder and more desperate than ever. Out of the corner of my eye, I saw Sid flinching at each resounding crash. The instant I fully turned away from it to unlock the door, I heard Elisa scream. I pounded upon the lock and the enormous pressure on the other side made the door spring like a trap. The man was roaring, but it was too late. Elisa had been savagely disemboweled, Sid looming over her, digging through the contents of her stomach as though searching for something. When it turned to face Mr. Williams' onslaught, it was shoveling a bloody, gluttonous clump into its mouth. Mr. Williams almost caught it, but it bounded away just in time. The bear man moved to the window to block its retreat, but he missed again when Sid lunged for the basket on the cabinet instead. By the time Mr. Williams caught up with it, Sid had already fled through the door. It's my fault, I heaved for air. Mr. Williams knelt over his daughter, clutching her viscera-soaked body to his chest. I could have stopped it, I sobbed. I could have told it to not hurt anyone. I'm so sorry. We need to get out of the house, he said. I followed him downstairs, though I knew it wouldn't return. Sid had been born with but one desire, and there was nothing left to satisfy it here. It wanted one thing and one thing only, and it would stop at nothing to get it. I hope you enjoyed Blood Magic by author Tobias Wade, as performed by yours truly. If you'd like that story, please do yourself a favor and check out more of Tobias Wade at his official website, TobiasWade.com. That's T-O-B-I-A-S-W-A-D-E dot com. There, you'll find links to more of his incredible spooky tales, along with print and ebook collections you can pick up at your favorite retailer today, as well as links to his social media and a chance to win a free book. Thanks for your support of indie horror 
and this very talented author. I'd personally like to thank you for joining me during the spookiest of seasons for this episode of Scary Stories Told in the Dark. If you've enjoyed what you've heard, please take a moment to stop by our iTunes page or wherever else you listen to your favorite podcasts and leave us a five-star review and a kind word. It makes a huge difference and would mean a lot to us. If you'd like to hear a premium extended edition of tonight's and all of our other episodes featuring twice the terror, visit simplyscarypodcast.com today and click the Patrons link in the menu at the top of the screen. You'll find yourself at chillingtalesfordarknights.com where you can purchase season passes for this product and our other quality storytelling programs. Or become a patron for as little as $5 per month and get access to our entire audio archive dating back to 2012, all of it ad-free. If you happen to use Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or YouTube, you can follow and subscribe to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights there, where you'll get all of our latest episodes and updates and new releases and have the chance to interact with us each and every week. You can subscribe to me on YouTube as well at the Otis Gyre channel, where you'll find releases of my series, Horror Storytime, dating back to 2014, and you can find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, too. Just search for Otis Gyre. Finally, thanks to today's sponsor, Native, for their support of this show. Don't forget, for 20% off your first purchase with Native, visit nativedeodorant.com and use TOLD during checkout. Once again, for 20% off your first purchase, visit nativedeodorant.com and use TOLD. That's TOLD, T-O-L-D, during checkout. Be sure to use that code to let them know that the folks at Native know that Otis Jiry sent you. It would mean a lot to me. Thanks again for your time and for giving Native a try this month. Until next week, stay spooky and get some sleep, if you can. <laughs> Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Scary Stories Told in the Dark, a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights, and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcasts Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com today to learn more about our network and our other amazing storytelling programs. Tonight's program was hosted and its featured stories performed by yours truly, Otis Jiry. Selected stories have been adapted with the kind permission of their respective authors. Original music provided by Luke Hodgkinson and Jesse Cornett. Sound design and final mixing and mastering provided by executive producer and director Craig Groshek. Program's artwork and logo by David Romero. If you're looking for some fresh tales on a daily basis while waiting for the next podcast, check out my YouTube channel, The Otis Jiry Channel, and my extensive collection of narrated tales there. Simply search on YouTube by my name, and you'll find me. And don't forget to subscribe and press the bell notification icon to get my latest releases. Got a scary tale of your own that you'd like performed? I take submissions. Email it to me today at otis at simplyscarypodcast.com to have your terrifying tome considered for production in a future episode of this show. That's O-T-I-S at simplyscarypodcast.com. If you've enjoyed what you heard on tonight's program and are joining us on your favorite podcast app, subscribe to us to be sure you never miss an episode and leave a five-star review and a comment. Your feedback means a lot to me. You can also follow Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and yours truly on Facebook to connect anytime and get the latest updates on this and other programs and my channel. If you're listening on the Chilling Tales for Dark Nights YouTube channel, do us a favor and hit the subscribe button and the bell notification icon for CTFDN as well to get more spooky tales from me and the crew and another episode of this program each and every Wednesday. And don't forget to hit that thumbs up button 
to tell us how we're doing and leave a kind word or a request. And don't forget to visit us at ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com and consider supporting the team by becoming a patron. In addition to helping us out, you'll get exclusive access to our audio archive and ad-free downloads of all your favorite stories, including those you've heard on this program. As for me, I'll be back next Wednesday with more terrifying tales to keep you up all night. But that's all right. Who needs sleep anyway? <laughs> Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.